Well, hey, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Alan. Uh, I do a few things here at Whitewater. It's always an honor to join you today uh, to bring the word of God. Listen, I just want to be upfront. This is only my second time up at this pulpit. And so uh, I really love interaction. And so um, during our time together, if you like saying things like, amen, or that's good, or preach it, Asian man, I mean, any of those, any of those are fine in this house. If you're new in the building or online, one of the things we like to say around here is welcome to our island of misfits. Thank you for checking us out. Yeah, you can give God some praise for that. You know, uh, where we're all a little different. We're all a little weird. Can all my different people say amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. The last few weeks we've been moving through a teaching series called For Everyone. Where we get to look at all the ways where Jesus was for the one, for the community. And today, I want us to see that he was for the city. More specifically, my city, your city, and collectively our city. And given the circumstances of what's been happening around the world, more specifically between Russia and the Ukraine, I want us to see that Jesus loves on this side of the border and on this side of the border. Amen. Amen. Now he says this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was for Jerusalem. He was for Judea, for Samaria, for the cities he lived in and passed through. So that begs the question for us. How can I be for my city? And I'm not just talking about Cleves, Ohio, where this building resides. I'm talking about all the cities represented right now. We got Coleraine. Yo, we got Harrison. Hey, Hamilton, Marco Island, Lawrenceburg. Preach it. In fact, listen, online, put your city in the chat right now. Let us know where you're from because here in the building, we have people from all over the tri-state area and online, we go beyond state lines. Now, I saw a lot of us were for our city of Cincinnati about three weeks ago. Most of y'all went into your closets, dusted off an old Bengals jersey, bought new Cincinnati logo sweaters and wore it proud. Man, I wanted to be a part of that. I uh, saw a lot of Cincinnati pride, and, and I'm a really good bandwagon sports fan. So, so I jumped right in that sucker. I went to a Super Bowl party. I was yelling stuff like, who day? <laughs> you go, Joe Shiesty. While I was eating my skyline, man, it was a lot of fun. But it made me wonder, is this what being for my city is all about? Because how many know that if we're going to be for our city, we can't just be for one part of it. We can't just be for the exciting part when our team goes to the Super Bowl. We can't just be for the history, the architecture, for the, the logo hats and the sweaters that we wear. Because all of that, that's fleeting. The city is about the people. Somebody say the people. The people, the students, the teachers, the young adults, the retired, the moms and dads, the single and married, the wealthy and the poor, the healthy and the sick, the lost and found, the people. In the same way that the church isn't a building, the city isn't a tourist destination. Matthew 5, 14 says it like this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why can't it be hidden? Because you're in it. 
And when we team up with others who carry that same Holy Spirit light and love that lives in each and every believer, we can't help but light up the cities where we live. Today, I want us to see that Jesus teaches us this city principle with a very important emphasis on how to truly love people. But before we continue, I'd love to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. We thank you for every Sunday that you gather us. Heavenly Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and in Russia. Help us understand how you love, how you support, how you finance, how you resource. Heavenly Father, we, we bow to you. We bow to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we settle in, uh, let's turn to our Bibles to Luke 10, 25 through 37. Hey, listen, if you don't have a physical Bible, please let us know. I am a big, big uh, proponent of, of somebody having a Bible to hold and to flip through and to write and scratch on, to wrestle with. So if you need a Bible, let us know, okay? All right. Does anyone want to read? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. One day. An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, also caught a Levite in some of your Bibles, walked over, looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Before we continue, I want to recognize that the scripture is pretty well known. Even if you don't know Jesus, you kind of know the, the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a show on CBS right now called Good Sam, which is based off of all the Good Samaritan hospitals all over the country. There's one in Cincinnati. This story, yeah, it's pretty popular. But not only is this story well known, but one of, if not the most Christian phrase, is from this passage. Are you ready? It's love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes, listen, we could totally gloss over that uh, as yourself stuff. Because, can I just say, sometimes, man, it's hard to love yourself. I don't know about you, but there are days when I feel completely unlovable. When I look in the mirror and I say, you know, I don't love that one pack that's forming right here. I'm in my 30s now, so y'all get it. I don't love the way my hair looks today. Or we think about the things we've done in the past, like, I don't love that I'm a divorcee. I don't love that back in my 20s I had to steal money because I wasn't good with my money. 
these are things about my life that I look back on and think, man, how can God possibly expect me to love that person who's my neighbor when I can barely love this person who's myself? Well, the answer is right here in the text. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. There's a reason why it comes before love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't truly love yourself without loving God first. When you start to love God with everything you have, when you start to pray, when you open a line of communication with him, you read his word, you worship him through your daily tasks, he starts to tell you the truth. The truth that you're his child. That he molded you with his hands. Scripture tells us that each and every one of us are his masterpieces created in his image. And guess what? His image is perfection. So whatever you did in the past, whatever that stupid boy said to you in sixth grade, whatever terrible words anyone has ever told you to make you feel unlovable and small, they take a backseat to the car of your life. Because Jesus is driving now and he has an air freshener dangling from the rearview mirror saying, I truly love you. So how can we love ourselves enough to be able to love our neighbor? We get close to God. We get close to God. Because even a little bit of God's love in your heart is a whole lot of love for the rest of the world. So we have to reframe that. We love your neighbor as yourself the way God loves you. As we keep studying this passage, I want us to reevaluate this term, neighbor. Neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Because what we'll see in scripture is that our neighbors aren't just pleasant Bob and Nancy who don't cause any trouble. No offense to any Bobs or Nancys in here. But they're also the neighbors who we peek through the blinds for. Oh, you know what, you know what I'm talking about because they're fighting and you're like, get the popcorn. <laughs> Our neighbors aren't just the people you see in church every Sunday. They're also the ones with the bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, God's not real. Your neighbor isn't just across the street. They're on the other side of the tracks. So if we keep going in this passage in verse 28, this teacher of the law Man, he actually gets it right with Jesus. You know, sometimes we read about these teachers in the Bible and, and they have a tuffle with Jesus usually. But Jesus um, actually gives this guy like a high five. He was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got it, boo-boo. Good job. <laughs> but now the teacher feels stupid about his question because uh, re remember earlier in the passage it says, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Man, how many of y'all know that you don't just test Jesus? Jesus usually ends up testing you. And it says that in order to justify his first question, this guy asks another one. But in reality, I think he was just trying to sound smart. Anybody know someone like that? Don't look next to you. If you do, don't do it. It's a trap. Instead of answering the question with a straight answer, Jesus tells a parable instead about a Jewish man, which is an important detail, who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. I want to park at Jericho for a second because Jericho was the same place where a prostitute named Rahab, who was an ancestor to Jesus Christ, helped Israel get to the promised land. Let us never forget that our Christian lineage dates back to a prostitute, which means that God can use anybody. He can use you. As we continue, we find that a priest came along and passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and actually looked at this poor Jewish Jew and he also passed him by. How messed up is that? This man is a Jew just like they are. He's their kin. But it got me thinking. 
How many people have we passed by in our lifetime because we saw how different they looked to us in their moment of brokenness? Man, I don't know about you, but there are, there are people I've met purposefully or not that I've judged based on a first impression. And it just so happens that in that first impression, they were in the worst season of their life. So we don't get to meet them at their best, at their most charming, at their 100. And intentionally or not, we decide, yeah, that, that, that's not for me. An article on Psychology Today says models of friendship show that there are two main categories of factors that influence our choice and pursuit of potential friends. This is how human beings psychologically choose friends, okay? There's an individual factor and an environmental one. The individual factors include such as approachability, social skills, self-disclosure, similarity, and closeness. Let's make it real. Let's say someone just lost a newborn was told that their mother has cancer the day before, and then walk in and they spilled their coffee. They probably won't look the most approachable. They'll probably just want to keep to themselves, so you won't get to find out any similarities at all, which prevents any closeness. But Jesus says in John 7, 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. These so-called godly people in our passage judged incorrectly because this man was a Jewish man. He was one of them. But they didn't just judge incorrectly. They just, they just judged. If they were truly people of godly ministry, then wouldn't you think that their actions would have matched the words they spoke of in the temples? That their actions would have matched the words they would have read on their scrolls? When I lived in Chicago, um, there was a man who stood out front of, a, of an old navy. Man, he was dressed to the nines like a million-piece suit with a microphone like this and a small speaker and uh, carrying a Bible around, waving around. He would yell the craziest things at, as, at people as they walked by. Things like, um, oh, I see you two holding hands. You're going to hell. Okay, cool. Or, or, um, um, or oh, 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 I see you smoking over there. Repent of your sins. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's crazy is that this guy is famous now. They call him the State Street Preacher. And uh, man, take a look at this. Take a look at this right here. See, here's the thing. You're famous, but he's in memes. How many know memes? When you're famous in a meme, that doesn't exactly mean good. Oh, look at that. He's been doing this a long time. It's like Sesame Street. Yeah. And here's the thing, uh, I'm not trying to call him out, but instead of building relationships with people he didn't know, he decided to scream at them. Would anyone go up to him right now while he just screamed at you to say, oh, I really need prayer? Or, oh, I, I want to get baptized. If there's anything that we can learn from this teaching series, I really, really need us to focus on the fact that religion does not work without relationship. Because Jesus is a personal, intimate God who gets up and close with people, who heals wounds with a touch, who gives people hope with a whisper, who has dinner with people, who sees people for who God made them to be, not the first glance of their brokenness. I, knew some, I know some of us are thinking, well, Alan, I don't have a speaker or a microphone and I don't stand out anywhere yelling at people. That isn't me. If that's your voice, uh, let me know because I think I did it incorrectly. And here's the thing is, we do it with our eyes, right? 
with our ears. We take mental notes on people and what we think about their agendas and not their stories. And because of that, we assume, we assume that people are different from us. See, if we keep going with our passage in verse 33, it says, then a despised Samaritan, somebody say despised, came along. And when he saw a man, he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. When I was studying this, I thought, hold up. Why did it say despised? Well, if you didn't know, Jerusalem and Samaria were rival cities. Not only that, but Jews and Samaritans hated each other for several reasons. They hated each other based on race. Samaritans are what my Harry Potter fans would call a mudblood because they were somewhat Jewish, but somewhat Assyrian. They hated each other based on religion. They had different ideas on where and how to worship God. Some Samaritans didn't even worship the Lord. There was a geographical difference, a cultural difference, a border difference. Does that sound familiar? Nothing like we experience now, right? Because of their history, the Jews literally walked around Samaria to reach their destinations, even though going through Samaria would save them a lot of time. Because of this hate, Samaritans literally avoided Jews. And it makes me think about how segregation equals more segregation. Avoidance equals more unhealth. The tension was amplified by the fact that they continued to ignore the problem and leaned into their differences, which led to no solutions. Now, if we keep going in our passage, it says that this Samaritan felt compassion. But I want us to look at this word in a different way. Check this out. The Greek word used for compassion is spalagna. Not spaghetti. Not lasagna. Spalagna, which derives from spalagkanon, which means compassion from the bowels, from your intestines, a deep inward affection, a tender mercy. The kind of mercy that's so deep it moves you figuratively and physically. Jesus felt this same type of spalagna compassion with a leper in Mark 1, 41. It says here, moved with compassion, with spalagna, Jesus reached out and said, be healed. All my parents in the room know how this feels, you know? This compassion when your kid is sick, when they don't know how, when they're in the worst pain possible and all you want to do is make them feel better. As followers of Christ, we're told that we should have this kind of empathy, this kind of compassion to not just others, but to people who we view as Samaritans. One of my best friends in high school, Brandon, you know, he's pretty white for a fly guy, you know, very into sports, loved hip hop, had a healthy debit card balance. And there's me on the other hand. I was a theater kid, if you can't tell. If I wasn't rocking out to Fall Out Boy, I was definitely crying to NSYNC. <laughs> I didn't have a debit card balance, I had a debit card imbalance. So, so why on earth, how could these two guys hang out? Well, we met on a bowling team. One of us initiated a conversation where we both found out that we didn't grow up with dads. Man, as soon as he told me, I felt compassion. I felt that empathy. Brandon was one of my many Samaritan neighbors that had it not been for a simple conversation, we would have passed each other by, never knowing that even if we had nothing superficial in common, we shared a bond through the depth of our life story. The compassion we felt was greater than the differences we saw. Now, because of this Samaritan's deep compassion, this, this deep mercy in verse 34 of our passage, the Samaritan 
soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. I don't want us to miss this because in this very moment, the Samaritan sacrificed a lot just to take care of somebody that probably hated him. He used his own resources of olive oil, wine, and bandages. Donkeys are usually a one person per animal ride. So you can imagine this dude was walking along as, it, as the donkey was carrying the Jewish man. Not to mention he was generous enough to pay for the stay at the inn and also for the innkeeper to take care of this man overnight. How much time did all of these events take place? Man, in those four sentences, it took over three days. This despised Samaritan gave away his money, his resources, and his time. And you want to talk about loving someone you don't love? There's this great band from Seattle that I used to listen to in college uh, called This Providence, who I didn't know were believers until they dropped this song called The Road to Jericho. And um, the main part of the bridge goes something like this. If loving were easy, it wouldn't be love. If loving were easy, it wouldn't be love. I'm not going to ask us to sing it, but I do want us to repeat it one time just to get it in our brains. Ready? Here we go. If loving were easy, it wouldn't be love. Loving can be difficult. Parents, I know you know this. I know you love your kids, but there are some times if Timmy just get out of bed, I'm just going <laughs> to. Wives, wives, you know this very well. There's some times where my wife is like, listen, I love you, but, but there's just some things. That, so, so here's the thing. Imagine trying to love someone who's, who we've already predetermined is our enemy. That's hard to do. But can we admit that fact? Can we admit that without God, loving people from the other side is challenging? Let's just admit it. You want to know the good news is, is our verse for this series says it perfectly. Let's read it again. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In every difficult situation, including loving others, we have to rely on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit because just like the Samaritan, each of us are imbued with a skill, an ability, and a resource that can help us truly love people in tangible ways, which in turn allows people to see Jesus working through us. Now, I'm a massive nerd, okay? I'm a huge fan of superhero movies. Holler at your boy for Batman tickets this weekend. Shout out to my nerdy Christians. But, but there's a video game that was released in 2005 called City of Heroes. Where as a player, you can create your own hero. You're given a superpower and then a city to protect and serve. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Now, these gifts aren't just for biblical times. These gifts are given to us in this age and in this time. Some of you have gifts, talents, and abilities that you think are just weird things that you're born with or you were taught. But we need to understand that these gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit are, are some things that we can, we can use for the kingdom. Some of these gifts could be the gift of uh, hospitality, cooking a meal, listening, conversation, being funny, gathering people, giving compliments. Some of y'all are good at giving compliments. 
giving advice, storytelling, filmmaking, songwriting, dancing, entertaining, singing for all my worship folks, writing, photography, organizing, scheduling, coaching, teaching, mentoring, creating, fixing, fixing cars, communicating, loving on students, caring for kids, financial security, financial advice, giving generosity, uh, giving encouragement, building websites, making coffee, sharing a smile, planning events, homemaking, landscaping, speaking, comforting, defending, motivating. What I'm trying to say is that while Jesus is calling us to love those who are different from us, the Holy Spirit gave us the power, the abilities, and interests and passion to do it. We don't have to have super uh, superpowers to save a city from darkness because we have God's Holy Spirit right here, right now. <laughs> those talents, those talents you consider small, the little time that you have on your hands, the treasure you can possess, all can be used for God's kingdom. And if we can all just be intentional in using these abilities together to, for the people we're called to love, those similar to us and those different from us, then we will be a united front of kingdom-minded people in Cincinnati, in Coleraine in my hometown in Chicago, in New York, Lawrenceburg, Harrison, Sri Lanka, Jordan, and wherever else you live, I want a city of heroes. Listen, some of you may or may not know, I've been able to hang out with John and be a misfit with him for um, several years now. Him and his wife, Kelly, invited um, me and my wife to move down here uh, to Cincinnati to be a part of the mission here at Whitewater. And by God's instruction, we, we planted our roots here. Sarah and I got married in a town called um, Ross, Ohio, which is a few minutes from here. And, uh, and if I can have some real talk with you, um, some real honest talk with you about taking the gospel to people you don't know. Listen, I know very well that to some of you, I represent Samaria. I know for some of you that I represent something very different. I know this because when I first came here, someone asked John, Where'd that Oriental come from? Look, I get it. There's maybe some differences. The obvious one being my skin tone, the way um, my clothes, the clothes I wear, <laughs> the not so obvious is my personality, my attitude, my demeanor, my values and beliefs. I mean, I realize I'm not like many of you. And trust me, it's been one of my life stories. When I first came to Ohio, from a city like Chicago, I moved to a town called Hartville, and I immediately knew where I was at. I took a job at PNC Bank as a bank teller. One of my first days on the job, I was behind the teller line. A man came up to me to do his transaction, and during it, he said, hey, so uh, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Chicago, yeah. And he said, <laughs> no, where are you really from? And I said, my mom? I don't, I don't understand the question, sir. I... Like I remember when John and I first visited Whitewater, we entered these doors specifically into this worship center and thought, man, I might be one of three non-white attendees. And, and I'm, not, I'm not here to condemn or to judge or to get sympathy or give any sort of opinion. And I know that there's been amazing progress when it comes to racial diversity here. All I'm saying is that the people you reach for are the result of your intention. Let me say that again. The people you reach for are the result of your intention. Jesus intentionally ate dinners at hated tax collectors' homes because he knew he could give hope to those who have been outcasted. Jesus intentionally went to the Samaritan woman at the well because he needed her to spread the gospel in Samaria. 
you and I, would not be here in this church if not for Jesus telling his apostles to go teach the gospel to people who are non-Jewish, to Gentiles, each and every one of us. Man, this church body is not just a West Sider, Cleves, Ohio church. It's a church made up of many different unique, exotic, loving, kind people who are able to reach every corner of the tri-state area and more. To put it in Star Trek terms, we can boldly go where no one has gone before. Thank you for understanding that reference. <laughs> if this church body were to stretch out our hands to literally reach out to those who are different from us, not only would we push ourselves out of our comfort zones to think more like Jesus, but we would have a congregation reflective of the bold and awesome colors of heaven. At the end of our passage, Jesus asks, now, which of, the, would you, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Notice how he didn't say the Samaritan. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So who is your Samaria? Who are your Samaritans? Who are those people to you? Who are those you despise? Because once you find that out, all you have to do is show them mercy. As followers of King Jesus, we have to take on the heart of the hero in this parable, the despised Samaritan, not the good Samaritan, the despised Samaritan. When we see a hurting enemy who is different racially, different financially, different emotionally, different mentally, Jesus is asking us to engage physically, be inconvenienced, be beyond financially generous, show spalagna compassion, and do all of this with zero expectation. The Samaritan didn't think twice because he didn't wonder what this broken Jewish man would do with his donkey or his two silver coins. Jesus never told us what happened in the rest of the parable because when we show people mercy, it should be with our hearts, not our reasoning. Jesus isn't asking us to be illogical. He's just asking us to be obedient. If we wanna be for our cities, we can't just be for the brand. We have to be for the broken. We can't just be for those we like. We have to be for those who we despise. We can't just talk religion. We have to show relationship. We can't just care for people. We have to be compassionate. And all of this is hard to do. But say it with me. If loving were easy, it wouldn't be love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for allowing us to worship you today, for allowing us to hear your words today, Heavenly Father. Father God, we lift up our testimonies to you because we know that our testimonies are powerful. We know that when we reach over the border to people we don't like or people who we find as our enemy, we can show them your love. We can show them your compassion. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. If there's anything that we learned today, it's that we should love you. We love you, we love you, love you. It's in your holy, powerful, awesome, amazing name, I pray, amen.